I love it. I love it. All power to oppressed people, African power to an African people, black power. It's your brother, Chairman Yang and Krumah, coming to you again, <clears throat> coming to you again with independent talk, black radio, or independent uh, black talk radio brought to you by the People's Black Panther Party. Uh, man, you got to forgive me because I'm trying to do this in the field as we move. Any real revolutionary knows how that goes. You're on the move and trying to do your thing at the same time. But today's show is, I'm expecting to be exciting one. It's about, you know, Mondays or what's on your mind Mondays. What's on your mind Mondays. And today is about the community, power base in the community, how the, what we call the original Black Panther Party, some of us know them as the third development, how they use the community as a power base, how, it, how effective it was, and why it was important to do that. And how I think, you know, in my opinion, we go, go again to this is your radio, this is your talk radio, this is an opportunity for you to express yourself, to uh, come and, 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 and say what you like. So I've started off, you know, in my opinion, I think that that's one of the things that we've gotten away from as revolutionaries and being empowered by the community. Our community base has eroded. We no longer, um, I think that we no longer have programs that are directed for the community. We no longer ask or do things in a manner that would involve the community, not just have programs for the community, but that would involve the community in their own self-determination and their own, um, and to allow them to enable them to participate and really trying to, you know, fight for their liberation or for their freedom or for their empowerment. And we see that the the Panthers, what they call the original Panthers, that was one of their hallmarkers. That was one of their cries, all power to the people, about empowering people, understanding that the power lied in the masses of people, lied in the collectiveness, lied in the communalism, lied in the reliance that we had upon one another. And not just the reliance on one another, but the the fact that we could trust and believe in that reliance, that it was a part of our moral and ethical makeup in the in the African and American community. You know, that this is this is what we did. That we didn't have to um go through uh a lot of things that we go through now based on because of our Eurocentric understanding and leanings. And 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 uh, inklings that we are uh, that this this age of individualism, this oh, this age of individualism, this lack of unity and togetherness that when we had back in the day that I don't like I said you've heard me say before I don't agree uh, I don't endorse. Or, or encourage segregation, but due to segregation and the harshness of our oppressors, it forced us to rely, to become reliant and dependent on one another. And these are one of these are some of the things that we've lost: this dependency on one another, this ability. To like I said, it goes back to reliability, and y'all have to forgive me, man. I'm running in and out of the rain. The ability to rely, to trust in, to have faith in our brother and sister, 
community support, community being the base of all things. So what does this look like? How do we, my question today I'm posing to our listening audience is, how do we get the community involved? How do we make the movement applicable to them realistically to where they feel the need? It's not just, it hasn't just become a sideshow or it hasn't, it's not just something to, um, something to do that realistically they understand that their involvement is imperative for their survival. That it is, it should be our resistance our resistance, our our struggle against this capitalist imperialist machine. And we understand that this capitalist and this imperialism was built on racism and founded on racism. That in order for us to see any type of leeway or any type of out from this, that it must be struggled against. But how do we make that a norm in our everyday life? and more so the community. We understand that the community here, the African community here in, 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 in America is under attack deliberately. Deliberately. It's not by happenstance, circumstance, chance, luck, or just, uh, you know, uh, willy-nilly, out-of-the-blue type thing that we have the highest incarceration rate that the um, our school systems are failing us, that in our neighborhoods we have food deserts. What's a food desert? Let me explain what a food desert is. When you go into our grocery stores, our foods are substandard. They sell us garbage, trash, that our communities are targeted for these fast food franchises and that they cater to us and placate to us, enticing our children. When you ride down, I live in Atlanta. When you ride down some parts of Atlanta and, you, and you're riding down the strip, and, and particularly in, in, in the black parts of Atlanta, that these fast food places are so lit and so well lit that it looks like Las Vegas. It's enticing. And to pull our children into them, they have playgrounds at the – premises or the establishments, the restaurants have playgrounds. And they in their in their junk meals, they sell toys. They have toys. They advertise on the children to entice your children. And many of us have become we have become so lazy that we it's easier to ride through. You don't even have to get out of the car anymore to go inside. You can just ride through the drive-through and ha- and and have them hand you poison. Now I'm not gonna sit here and say that I'm one of the healthiest eating brothers that you know. I'm a vegan. I'm no, no, no. I'm, I just gave up beef maybe six months ago, so I'm not gonna sit here and pretend to be one of those brothers and browbeat you about. But I am gonna say, consciousness, accountability, responsibility. For what we intake and, and, and put in our body is, is necessary, and especially if we have children. What they put in their bodies and intake, that's why we're battling with obesity and things of that nature as is. 
So we look. It goes back there again. I say that when we look at the attack on our community as deliberate, that's a deliberate attack. Your health is a deliberate attack. Failing school systems. Failing school systems. We no longer control the curriculum. I can remember coming up, schools used to be named after prominent African, they say African-American, black, you know, I call them African, after prominent Africans here in America leaders and activists and and, um, just outstanding people. Our schools were named after them. And our teachers reflected us. Therefore, you saw an interest. The teachers would have this interest, a vested interest, because they understood that this person was the future of their community, that they were the future. So they, they, you, you, you could see the vested interest, the time taken, the extra time taken. Now we have these European teachers, these white teachers that they're in our schools, and when they see our children, do they see doctors and lawyers, successful businessmen? Do they see people who contribute to society and make these dynamic changes and and scientists who will make fantastic discoveries to further the cause of humanity generally and specifically us as African people, further our cause as African people here in America? Do they see this or do they see a little nigger? Do they see a criminal? I mean, mind you, this is the same white woman who when the same student that she's teaching, she sees him, not inside the school building, locks her car doors or clutches her purse. She already has preconceived notions about our young people. So how is she in any position to teach our young people? Does she, I mean, it, I mean, you have to ask yourself this. And then you're sending, we're sending our children to school, uh, what, six, seven hours a day, five days a week, over half the year. Our children are being raised by white women. Our children are being raised by white women or white males. Or in, in some instances, they if they see black women, uh, then, you know, what is the, even the attitude, I know sister's going to get a sense, what is the attitude of his sister when she sees a young brother? I went to one of my son's award ceremonies, and almost every recipient of an award was a young black or African girl. And, I'm, and, and, and it left me to thinking, I said, I know all the brothers can't just be that disruptive, are uh, unable to achieve that type of, uh, to have the scholastics to receive an award. I mean, it's impossible. So I have to end up questioning the teachers. And not just the teachers. This is the importance of community-based, community control, community power, the curriculum. Looking at the curriculum. Looking at us as we are as African people, African males and African females, do our boys, it it, it raises the question, do our boys learn differently than girls? I think it's the brothers, uh, I can't, I wanted to read, I read a book a while back, I cannot remember the author's name, it was called Destruction of the Black Male, and it talks about how this destruction starts in the school system. 
there again, the importance of community base, having programs that address these issues. What happened to the PTA, the Parent Teachers Association? Parents out there, really, listen, those within sound of my voice, I'm just really dropping tidbits so that you will think about these things. We're so ready to run out there and address all of these mega issues, global warming, white supremacy, down cracker, white supremacy, right? But where does this white supremacy start? You know, we run, we get caught in our emotionalism, and we're out, and we're all over the place. But where does the white supremacy start? It starts with the everyday involvement of you and I. The everyday involvement of, of you and I. PTA is PTA is one of them. We're gonna open up the lines. I'm gonna open up the lines for um my minister of justice, sister justice. <laughs> I want you to I, I want you to share with us. Well, I mean, I I uh what I did hear about the food and whatnot, um, I don't know, like what so far is the topic because I can tell you that when I heard my, my uh granddaughter tell me she don't eat she don't she don't care to eat McDonalds no more because she was able to go online and find out what was in the food and she said she does not want to eat that. And the thing about it is I remember when her mother used to bring her over here, they always had McDonald's. I was like, my Lord, <laughs> you know. So um, she's old enough now to recognize that she don't want that for herself. But guess what? The mother ain't there yet. The mother's not there. The child is there. So um, mm-hmm. I think we we got to give our children a little bit more credit. And as far as our um, sons are, as far as our sons are concerned, um, our sons uh, do learn differently. Than the girls, it's a proven fact. Uh, they, uh, I, I don't know. In fact, uh, you remember Deb, Deborah Shine is a friend of mine that works for the Department of Education, and she goes from state to state uh, about the testing and the things that take place. And what actually happened was that she found that the tests are the tests are skewed more for the girls. And and at the age that people go to school, uh, at at, at um, primary school age. Boys work with their hands. Girls do a whole lot of other things, you know, with their minds. So the different parts of the brain is maturing at different times. So um, you, you're right when you said that. They do learn differently. And then for them to not have anything for the boys to do or to put together a science fair or something like that, it's just hard to put them on the same keel and then give gifts for who's the smartest one because that's where it starts. <laughs> that's where it starts. That's where all the inequality starts. Black power, sir. Hello? Is anybody there? Black, Black power. power. Black power. Oh, I'm 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 I'm, I'm 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 done, sir. I I I have another call coming in. I'll get right back with you guys. Black power. Okay. Black power. I'm um um fortunate. I have I'm I'm fortunate enough, and we're talking about. Then again, we're talking about um the community base being the power base of the black movement, how what we call the original 
some, some I call them the third development, but a lot of people know them as the original, how they utilize the community as a power base, the importance of that, and the need for that, how it was done, why it was done, and the question, have we gotten away from that? I'm, there, I'm honored now to have my father on the line, who, who some call an original Black Panther, I call third development uh, Black Panther. Not only is he the national spokesman for the People's New Black Panther Party, he's the chairman of Cleveland, Ohio, the national director of the Panther Education Committee, one of the Louisville Seven, was uh, the chairman then under that formation. Uh, it's my pleasure to bring to you Sometimes during the course of the radio program, you may hear me go back and, and call him Abu, but most commonly known to the world as Chairman Abdul Kahar. Chairman Kahar, you on with us? Black Power, comrades, yes. Black Power. Black Power. So our, our topic tonight, Chairman Kahar, we do on Mondays, we do is more community-based. We answer community questions. We talk about the community. So our thing tonight is the community as a black power base the importance of being community-related, the importance of having that, that uh, rapport with, your, with, 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 with people in the community, how the Panthers, whom they call the original Panthers, how those brothers and sisters, those comrades, utilized that, and why that was important. Okay. So, uh, that's what, yeah. No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's main one of the things. I like for you to speak a little bit on that and to go in the first thing. Let me just say this because, like, I know when I come home, when I come to Cleveland, we're together. One of the things that you are noted for, what some people may call even call infamous, is walking through the community. You will go get your morning paper from that library, and um, one of the queens called him hi there, hey there, hold it, and will speak to everyone. I think that you mm-hmm. become like. If people don't see you walking, it's kind of like an alert in the neighborhood. Something is not right. Brother Chairman is not walking these streets and speaking to the people. And the rapport and the relationship you've developed. And it was one of such that even when I came home and you was living, had moved to a different neighborhood, people had knew me. I remember when I came up, they said, oh, you Panther Man, son. You know what I'm saying? So what is the important – how do you develop that relationship, and why is that important? And necessary for revolutionary organization. It is. Uh, um, uh, it is the foundation for our struggle. That's why we call it community. You know, community. Uh, that uh, we all have the same store there. We basically go to the same school. And uh, in order for us to build a people's movement, we have to put our hands in the people's hands. We have to look the people in the eyes, and they have to look us in the eyes and become one-on-one with the people. Uh, that becomes your shelter. That Those become your eyes. And there's uh, many times when strangers will come into the community, or even when the police come into the community, uh, it will get back to me, somebody asking about you, brother, uh, somebody doing it. So the people becomes your security and your protection as well as you become their protection. And see, m- many cases... Uh, uh, so-called, and I say that revolutionary, we become arrogant with the people that we say that we're the vanguard. No, the peoples are the vanguard. And what I I mean by that, you have no movement unless you got the peoples. And it must be be a collective uh, movement. uh, among the peoples. Uh, When uh, we dealt with the Louisville Seven, 
a case where uh, we were framed in Louisville, Kentucky. When we went to court, there wasn't enough a room in the courtroom. People were outside. The people came because they seen us was working against the heroin dealers and accusing the doctors of, 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 of pushing methadone. So they came to our support. And right today, right today, any place I go, I make it my business to go and meet the people. Mm. Mm. All revolutionary struggle comes from the people. Without the people, you have no struggle. Without the people, you have no movement, period. Right it on. is all about the people, and that's why in the third development that some people call original, we would say all power to the people. Right on. And we say now all power to the righteous people because every people don't need this. And I'm talking about the racist. So when we say all power to the people, no, we talk about all power to the righteous people. Those people that have been oppressed and those brothers and sisters that are struggling every day to maintain their family and to maintain their life. So when I say all power to the people, I'm not talking about Trump now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. You're talking about yeah, the righteous people. Right, right. 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 Well, well, and let me ask you this then, Chairman Carr. And there again, this is the People's Black Panther Party Independent Black Talk Radio. We have... Uh, Chairman Kahar, Chairman Abdul Kahar, National Director of the PEC Panther Education Committee. Here's an opportunity to ask questions, to rap to him, man. You know, um, it's very seldom that we get the opportunity to have what he said, like he says himself, third development, but who most know as original Panthers on. So it's an opportunity. Press one, we'll click your line open, and and we'll entertain your question, comments, concerns. But my question for you, Chairman Kahar, is do you see us, like reflecting that, are we walking in the footsteps of the original Panthers? Are we using community base as black revolutionary movements? Or is it, are, can we do more? And if we can do more, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about engaging the community? Well, one is uh, uh, simple. We have to be out there. If we got a flyer, a leaflet, a newspaper, uh, we got anything that uh, we are pushing educating the people, so even with our economic, that's if we're selling the red, black, and green, whatever. Uh, it is necessary because we we are building back then, uh, during the 60s, uh, we were called, those who sit around the house were called armchair revolutionaries. So now we got Facebook uh, revolutionaries, we got Twitter uh, revolutionaries, you know, and uh, they don't leave the office, you know. Uh, they don't leave their house. So when they come out into the streets, once again, uh, uh, Sister Asada Shakur uh, 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 gave a message from Cuba and said that we have to go back to what we did in the beginning, once again put our hands in the hands of the people. This is, this is, a, uh, this is a month, uh, uh, and we got too many scholars. We got too many doctors. But where's our Timbuktu University for our people? We got, man, we got revolutionaries of uh, all over the place. But look yeah. at the condition of our people. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so it, yeah. so it, that speaks for itself to show you that an an organization can come out uh, overnight and call Black Lives Matter, and completely wipe the history out of revolutionary nationalism coming about. 
because America needs to give the people some type of opportunity. They're not going to give you revolutionary black nationalism or revolutionary pan-Africanism, but they will give you some type of liberalism. And that's mm-hmm. how it did in the uh, 60s. What, what organization did they have in the, in the 60s to derail or to defer the people's attention from uh, black revolutionary move, black revolutionary nationalist movement? Uh, the Communist Party USA. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's heavy. That's heavy. So this is where, so it's a, it's a, it's, you think it's a case of what we're seeing again in movements like Black Lives Matter to take that anger and that energy. And anger, righteous anger can be good. I know that Brother Malcolm said that, you know, anger, a man won't change anything till he's angry. So righteous anger, not blind rage, but righteous indignation, righteous anger can be good. So you think that these movements were started by these liberals? And in, in most instances, yeah, right? Uh, uh, one is to uh, 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 to hijack the Black Liberation Movement. Well, uh, uh, for instance, when you say Black Lives Matter, don't you know Marcus Garvey knew that? Don't you know uh, W.E.D. Bowles knew that? Don't you know that uh, uh, Elijah Muhammad knew that? Don't you know that Malcolm knew that? Don't you know that your mom and daddy knew that? <laughs> <laughs> Every day calls Black Lives Matter. It's matter when they came to Africa and snatched and kidnapped us. And it's been mattering ever since. Yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, but it's good for those who are not involved into any movement. I'm, I'm, I'm not knocking them. What I'm saying, though, is that when we talk about uh, revolutionary black nationalism, uh, revolutionary pan-Africanism, we're talking about taking it to a, to a higher level. Before we can integrate with any movement, we first have to integrate with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Expound on that a little bit. What do you mean? What do you mean? We first have to integrate with ourselves. Break that we down a little. Have- First, we have to know how to build a solid uh, bridge, a solid black family, uh, and see. And I will tell you why. We are coming into a period now where we have to uh, project strong black leadership. Many of our people still believe that we cannot have an organization of less than white folks in it. Mm. I call it that Jesus Christ syndrome. You know, that they have some white in order for it to be successful. And that's what I'm saying, that the leadership of the Black Lives Movement is basically a creation of the white so-called left. Hmm. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and it's the same thing that uh, happened back with Malcolm. When Malcolm left the nation, uh, the Social Worker Party gave him a platform and program. If you ever want any books on Malcolm, go to the Socialists. Wow. They got all his speeches. Come on. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So so we look back and we learn from our mistakes, and we learn from the positive thing. I remember in Florida, uh, uh, we organized a movement called uh, JOMO, the Junta Militant Organization, which is now called the African People's Socialist Party, uh, that is headed by uh, Chairman Yesitella. 
I remember when he disappeared and and had the whole city believing that he was in Cuba, and he was right there in the projects. <laughs> <laughs> because the people took care of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They just knew he was that bad, you know, the mother right there in the projects. Right, the projects. They think you in yeah. Cuba. So what what what's the difference? What's the difference between then and now? How did how did the those movements uh um uh, 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 those progressive revolutionary black movements then garnish so much community support? And why do you see the disenfranchisement, the division between uh, our, our revolutionary organizations now in the community? Uh, one is that um. Technology is uh, uh, not properly uh, understood and properly used. Uh, you get brothers who say that uh, I joined the, uh, uh, the Black Panther movement because I went to the theater and I saw the movie Panther. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, no, you got to get out there. You got to get and see back then we had, we had what they call a mimograph machine. You know, piece of paper. You 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 put it on there, and you wind it up in the ink, and then you got your fly, uh, flyer. We didn't have the type of communication where we could sit back. We had to go out into the field, and that's where that's where the liberation school come from. That's where the clothing come from. That's where the free clinic come from. That's where busting the prison program to take uh, families to visit their loved one in, in prison. You could not have the program if you were not out there among the people and with the people. To have a breakfast program, that means that you got to sit down with the parents. You got to sit down with the youth. To have a free clinic, you got to sit down with the community. You got to sit down with the people. For uh, 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 any type of program that we're dealing with, and serving the people, we got to get down with the people. That's one thing that I can say. When you know a revolutionary is when I don't care what he wearing, but the people recognize him. Say, "Oh man, that good brother so and so. How you doing, brother?" A uh, bless you, brother. Uh, how you doing, sister? Bless you, sister. How you doing, brother? Hey, that's that is what happens. Uh, people always ask me, "What is my first name?" And I say, "My first name is Brother." <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm your brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and uh, if you don't accept that or not, that's too bad. But I'm still your brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you say technology. They're afraid of uh, doing, uh, working among the masses of our brothers and sisters. They don't want that, you know. That is where the power is at. That is that is where the security at. That is where your wife can walk through the neighborhood and she be protected, or your husband walk through the neighborhood and he be protected. Your children can go to the store and they be protected because they know that this community belongs to the people. Mm-hmm. And that go for the gangsters and thugs and anybody else. Our movement ain't too black to see a brother who snatches a sister purse. He gonna get whooped if the panther catch him. Right on. You know we ain't that black. Right. Right on. Well, do you do you? One of the things that I've talked about on the show. And again, let me bring. We're we're, we're coming to you. We have Chairman Abdul Kahar, National Director of the Panther Education Committee, Political Education Committee. Uh, and we have them on, man, dropping some wisdoms, giving us, doing a little comparative study here, man, from as what people call the original to this day and time. The brothers, one of the brothers, I think that what we find fascinating with uh, Chairman Kahar is we've always find these pamphlets that say, 
you know, hey, I was original Panther, I was this and that, but they're not active today. I quote uh, Chairman Carr when he says, I didn't know there was a retirement home for Panthers. You know, or right. either, you know, right on, or either there was, you know, you were the Panther water boy. You got to understand, some of those cats came in and joined the Panthers for 15 minutes, you know, and, and come out and now use that as they were original Panthers. So if you want to come on, if you want to have, if you have an opinion, a comment, a question, a concern, or, you know, have something to say to Chairman Carr, um, then please press one. We'll recognize you. This is Independent Black Talk Radio, People's Black Panther Party. I'm your man, uh, Brother Yanger, coming at you. Um, Chairman Carr, one of the things, though, we come back to you, is that I always talk about is that um, I think that in this day and time when you look at that it's so easy for someone to get that cat. You know, and I'm reminded of the story you told me when you were on trial for the Louisville 7 and they brought this brother up. And you just knew. You was like, oh, man, this brother here, yeah. he's going to sink my ship. Won't you share that story with us, man, and tell us. And then when you share that story with us, tell us a little bit about it. Do you think that it's easier now to get into formation, panther formations, as opposed to then? And is this a good or a bad thing? It is. It is. First of all, the brother is was um, his last name was Wallfield, and uh, he wanted to join the party, but it's he, uh, because, as he said, that we had the most beautiful sisters in the community with Panthers, so he came in with a different alternative. And uh, uh, because one of the sisters turned him down, uh, he went on a job and he caused some habits. So uh, when it got back to me, we went and got him, and, and we put a sign around his neck saying, I, I am a do-nothing revolutionary, and uh, we gave him a broom. And he had to sweep the whole community. Every street that we went down, he had a sign saying, I'm a do-nothing revolutionary. And then we kept that sign on him. And uh, then at night, we took him to all the clubs that we can go to. And he had to empty out the ashtrays and everything with that sign. sign. And uh, people would look and say, oh, you a do-nothing revolutionary. So he uh, took it with slide. And when we got framed and going to court, uh, he came into the witness stand, and I said, oh, my God. And uh, so the prosecutor asked him, he said, was you not a member of the Black Panther Party? He said, I won't qualify to be a member. Mm-hmm. And that gave the jury and everybody let them know that this ain't uh, uh, Johnny or anybody can come in this organization. This is a political revolutionary party. Mm-hmm. And uh, we take it serious. But in many cases now, the Panther have become a fad. You know, well, uh, I'm a Panther, you know, and I'm shaking my head, but you ain't doing no reading, you ain't doing no studying, and you're not doing no deeds. Mm-hmm. That that represents. And for those who say they used to be a Panther, how you going to used to be? That's like saying I used to be human. <laughs> right, right. You know, I used to be a Panther. If you cannot join a Panther formation that here in America, at least you can give some assistance. Mm-hmm. You don't sit back and let young brothers and sisters say they're Panthers and go astray and do anything they want to do. If you were a Panther then, you're a Panther now. We say from the cradle to the grave. Mm-hmm. When I became a member of the uh, 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 the New Black Panther Party, and then the People New Black Panther Party. What happened was the brother kept coming to me, and I said, oh, okay, we need PE. We need political education that we have to understand that you ain't inventing nothing new. This is a 
a what we call a completion that we continuously move forward until it get done. That those who came before us, we are still part of that. Can not one brother or sister who claim to be original can say that I'm not a panther? That's right. I'm still keeping up and doing the panther work. And mm. that is the difference uh, with the third development. It was mandatory for PE. It was mandatory that we understood our objectives. It was mandatory that we took time out, PE, and then we took time out in the community. It was mandatory that you go out into the community. You know, so that is where um, our struggle is at right now is to put our hands back into the people's hands. And uh, let me just share this real quick. Yeah. Uh, there was a brother that said he had a, a Caucasian friend that had a computer that, that can do everything. And he said, man, I want you to see this computer, but don't tell nobody, don't bring nobody over here because I want you to look at it first. So on his way there, he seen one of his friends. Jabo and Jabo were drunk, so he said, "Man, I need to take him home before the police get him." So he goes to the white boy house, and the white boy showed him this computer, and they say, "Man, see this computer do everything." Jabo drunk got out the brother's car, went into the boy house, and unplugged the computer. Uh, unplugged the computer, and the brother turned around and said, "You say the computer, this computer could do everything?" Say, "Yes, it would. Could it plug itself back up?" In other words, if there's a blackout, many of our brothers and sisters are going to be lost. Okay. That's what I'm saying, that we put too much energy in networking other than with our tongue and our heart one-on-one with the people. So I just use that as saying if if uh, there's a blackout, a, a lot of us going to get lost. We won't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't because we, 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 we put too much energy in, in these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So it's so it's that, but it didn't go to the question of. Um, I know you answered, said the thing, told the story, but do you feel like it's too easy to now be able to just get into the formation? And what was I know you said you had a brother saying that he was a um, do nothing revolutionary, but what were some of the criteria? What made it? What made it different? Because I know we saw an influx of just, man, after, you know, at one point in time in the history of the so-called original Black Panthers, that influx of people just coming in and wanting to join. But what were some of the criteria, and what made them a, a, a different? Because from the films, and I don't know, you know what I'm saying, here's an opportunity to, to learn what happened. What made them a different type of uh, comrade or cat? Uh, uh, because... You just couldn't come in uh, and be be part of the Panther rank. Mm-hmm. You came in as NCCL, a National Committee to Combat Fascism, and that was almost by six months. And uh, you had to go through PE, military, and first aid training. Mm-hmm. And and the field marshal would come down and say, "Y'all ready?" Say, "Yeah." Now you can wear that Panther uniform. But you just don't wear that Panther uniform uh, unless you've been through the training, and it was and uh, it was mandatory. And you know about it, baby. Uh, your mother can tell you about it. It was it was mandatory as well for the sisters and brothers. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, one of the things is too, and I think that next week he was talking about uh, my mother. Next weekend, we're gonna have my mother come on the show. I know a lot of sisters are dealing with a lot of things, and we, and we, here's an opportunity too to address the chairman. Uh-huh. We'll ask the chairman what's going on now. A lot with the chairman is we hear a lot of complaints about sexism, about the mishandling of the sisters in the party, or the the abuse, and, and we have this thing going on between the sexes and relationships in the party and a lot of it is 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 leading not only is it exposing us men to showing this uh, uh misogynistic behavior this machoism but it's also pushing our sisters dangerously close to feminism how did you i'm sure that in the party then in the original so-called original party that um you dealt with that 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 had to be dealt with but how was it dealt with how was it addressed and you being in a formation now, do you see that? And how do you address that in this day and time? And now with the sisters, what would you say to the sisters? I would, I would say this. Uh, there's one thing that we did, and we also did it here in Cleveland. Number one, if there are any brother or sister in the formation that have a desire for one another, make it known. Make it known. And the reason that I say that, if you got intention on the sister, sister got intention on you, make it known because we don't want jealousy or envy coming in uh, or destroying uh, the unity within the organization. Many brothers come in and they had a thing back in the 60s called TUSS uh, 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 Y Power. And uh, uh, they had that in many chapters. We didn't play that here. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, during that period, everything was shut down. Now, if that's your intention, if the sister had rank, the brother has to recognize that rank. If the brother had rank, the sister had to recognize that rank. But when you start having certain relationships, special sexual relationships, Personal feelings come in, then your rank don't mean nothing. Now my feelings, mm. and this is vice versa, uh, brothers and sisters. So now our feelings don't overrule our rank and our responsibility. So it's a very thin line that, uh, in the order for we to become a panther, and we all say the three Ds, we have to define who we are, and that's also with our relationship. Then we have to develop who we are, and that's also with our relationship. And then we have to defend, mm. you know. And I call it the three Ds with the big D. The big D is that we are on a divine mission and that mm. uh, we have to have some type of moral principles to guide us and keep us in check. Because I see organizations have been destroyed because of male chauvinists and called the female chauvinists too. Mm. You wouldn't have sat here uh, in Cleveland, you know. Sister came through here, and, you know, and, and uh, she was appointed uh, national so-and-so. She appointed national so-and-so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it gets right, right, that they get in there in that, in that respect thing. So I, I think that's a good thing. So basically saying in, in, in the relationship era, if um, – 
brothers or sisters have intentions on one another, make it known so it ain't no misunderstanding That's about right. these things. You know, That's right. and, and respect the positions that uh, respect the positions that that people that the people that the rank and file have or that the people have. Correct. I think that that's real important. There again, Correct. our phone line, our phone lines are open, brothers and sisters. Uh, you know, I see, I I know how it is. You know, Ken, the the conversation is so interesting, entertainment, entertaining. But here's an opportunity uh, to talk to the national director of the Panther Education Committee, Political Education Committee, um, Chairman Abdul Kahar for Cleveland, Ohio, my father, original Panther, part of the Louisville Seven. There's issues out there that concern us in this day and time. There are things that are affecting this development of the movement of Panther formations of the movement. The fact that we are in so many formations, the fact that, and now for a lot of them, not very legitimate or strong reasons, are uh, the sexism that our sisters are feeling like that's going on in the party. Just the blatant, in my opinion, the lack of community involvement, the lack of political education that goes on in the party. So many things happening. And if you have a question, if you have concerns or questions, I want to know something. Here's an opportunity to talk to Chairman Carr. Chairman, let's go to our phone line. Someone um, chimed in. You open for some questions? Okay. Uh, Black Power. Black Black Power. There we go. 347-1522. Yeah, Black Power. This is, uh, this is Brother Craig in New York. And you know, oh, I recently. Great. What's going on, brother? How you doing, brother Daniel? And I'm my, good. My I'm good. Is that... Congratulate you personally again on that successful co-drive, man. This is Queens chapter. Uh, uh, my brother Chairman coming out of Queens People Black Panther Party, man. Just just was honored to to have his brother in my formation and seeing him do his thing with the co-drive out of Queens. That is what's good. Brother, you got any questions, okay. comments, or concerns? I just have a, a couple of comments there. You know, I heard the the brother, which is your father, was speaking about you got to have flyers and stuff like that for people to have to push around the neighborhood. And my concern is where would I happen to get these flyers from? Oh, you say what now? Flyers. They said they have some kind of flyers that they – um. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, give out to, 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 to give to the neighborhood. Because certain issues, yeah, it's certain issues there that uh, we might not be dealing with here. So your flyers will be uh, will be set up and adapted to the condition of the brothers and uh, sisters there. That's uh, in my, you know, my community, right? Yes, sir. Mm, okay, I appreciate that. That was one of my concerns because, like I said, I'm trying to start this chapter here. I got like three, four strong brothers with me now. Yeah. But I wanted to I wanted to build even more and then we could push it from not just Queens. Yeah. We could go from Queens to New York to Manhattan, Brooklyn, we can move it around. But I want to get start here in Queens and try to get that off the ground. So well, that's my that's, that's, that's my concern there. That was my concern there, brother. Okay, brother, that's definitely what's up. Like you were saying about the flyers too, and I think that that's good advice that Chairman Kahar has and and um, Chairman Card, Nat, uh, National Director of the People, uh, Political Education Committee. I myself am a part of the Panther Political Education Committee. And one of the things is, like he was saying about the flyers, addressing the needs and concerns that affect your locale. 
Okay. We uh, if anything that I've learned, you know, I'm I'm one of this man's head, you know, is my father, but also my teacher, so I'm probably one of his top students. And anything that we've learned that every organization, successful organizations anyway, are built from the bottom up. And in order to build from that bottom up, the locale must feel empowered and informed and educated. You know, um, and so you, you, you start to address, you find the issues, like Chairman was saying, you find the issues that affect your locale. Mm-hmm. And we can do that. And what we'll do, and what we'll do too, brother Chairman Craig, you and I will have a, you and I will have a talk about the chapter, and and give some ideas and suggestions on how we can really get that thing going. Okay, I really appreciate that, brother Yanga. Hey man, appreciate you. Definitely appreciate you calling. Call in. Yeah. All right, Black Power. Black Power. Black Power, come right. So that's 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 one of our things, um, brother Carr. We can talk about. It. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about informing the community, and empowering the community through information and political education, especially when you're dealing with people that don't aren't really very uh, big on revolutionary politics, liberation politics, and things of that nature. What kind of flyers would you have? How would you engage them? And address them. I know that you go by like, man, I've seen you do it. I, I call it street preaching. We go by the house with the homies on the porch, you know what I'm saying? And even so much so that you start to give them rank. You know, you call it the governor, the lieutenant. You know what I'm saying? You start, you start to give them rank and position. And again, what, what would you call it? A people's militia? You know what I'm saying? You, you, you start getting, you know, you organize the community. So how... How did you get to them to engage you like that and to start to do it to where um, you felt comfortable enough to give them ranks and y'all start to develop some type of dialogue? Yeah. Um, what I'm going to have to do, um, Diango, uh I'm in the car. I'm going to pick up the first lady, so I'm going to have to disconnect for right now. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. And I will get back on. Okay, get back on. I text you the number. Thank you for the time that we had you, Abu, and I'll talk to you in a minute when you get back on. Assalamu alaikum and black power. Wa alaikum salam. Black power. United we live. Divided we die. Right on. So that was that was uh, Chairman Kahar, the National Director of the People's Education Committee, and he's giving us just giving us some good insight on how to be involved. This is where I learned community involvement from this brother here. The importance of community involvement, the need to address the people in such a manner that they understand that this liberation struggle isn't just a fad, that this liberation struggle isn't just, you know, um, uh, something that can be poo-pooed or shooed away, that it's vital, it's imperative to the everyday survival and not just survival, but thriving of our people, of us as a people. That if we don't get involved with our own empowerment, then no one would. That we won't get it from we won't get it from anywhere else. That it's a mandatory must for our continuation as a species, as an ethnicity. Because believe me, you, the attacks against us are deliberate attacks. They're intentional. 
There are people out here that don't want you to know your true nature. We discussed it earlier when we were talking about uh, the Willie Lynch, and one of the things in the Willie Lynch letter it says is don't allow them to know their true nature. So there are people out here that don't want you to know the true nature of the black man and woman here in America. Because once you know your true nature, you will start to set things in order. It's not so much that you will emulate them in your hate and in, in hate and rage or in some type of black supremacy or white extermination. We're going to go kill all the white folks. It's not that. It's that you're going to set things in order, that the African man and woman is known that they're an integral part of the universal scheme of things, that they're one with nature, and that this capitalist mindset, this mindset of consuming and consumption that to the extent that we destroy the earth or that we destroy one another for what we have will be banished, will be gone. There will be equality. There will be harmony. There will be peace. There will be love. But they have to keep us in a warlike mind state. They have to keep us divided from the community. They have to keep us practicing Eurocentric ideas of individualism, not understanding the true concept of power to the people, all powers to the people. Like Jeremy Carr said, that was what they said, and they understood that that was more than just a slogan, that that was a, that that was a war cry. It was a rally cry. It was a cry of information. It was an informative cry. It was letting them know that the power lies within you, that as a community, as a collective, there's nothing we can do. How many times have we heard us talk about or heard me talk about accountable spending? You see, just something as simple as knowing where your dollar is going to will make a world of difference. You will find that the people whom we spend our dollars with will start to, when we start to withhold these dollars and pull these dollars from their establishments, will start to cater to us. And not that we're looking for them to cater to us because our, long, our, our, our long-term aspirations, our long-term goals, is to be completely and totally self-sufficient, independent of any other people, that if we trade with any other people, it's of our own fruition and our own free desire, not because we're dependent, not because if we don't, then we're going to die, because we don't have anything to sustain ourselves. No. Our trading with them will be of our own accord. But the only way to get there is to understand that you are a person of self-worth, that you have value. Man, I'm going to tell you something about me, about your brother, Chairman. I go into, I'm so, I'm so like that, that I go into there, if something costs $3.39 and, and, and I give them $3.40, I wait for my penny. I wait for my penny. And watch their arrogance. Watch their arrogance. 
Watch how they bank on your ignorance or your just not caring. They won't even offer you your penny change. They won't even offer you their closed register. But imagine if I'm getting thousands and thousands of people to come to my store who say, keep the change, I'm not worried about a penny, and that's just a penny. Some do nickels and dimes. How much money, surplus money, extra money they're making from no product actually being sold, being siphoned out of the African community? On a keep the penny. It's just a penny. Accountable spending. Accountability. Due to our negligence, and in some cases ignorance, but negligence, we make other people rich. They come over here and intentionally, and intentionally target us, distort to build their communities, distort to chase their American dream. That's right here. You, as an African here in America, are a part of the American dream. Why? You're a money-making machine. You're a money-making machine. How many black communities you go into where our sisters, the hair industry, I have a sister that is a natural hairstylist. She's one of the coldest in Atlanta. Bad. I-O. Send a shout-out to my I'm going to make a payment for a commercial. I-O. My sister. She's cold. Who does my locks? Natural hairstylist. And she and I were talking. And we were talking about it, and I said, well, you know, and I mean, she's going through the room. She started out as stylist. Now she has, um, uh, you go online, and she has a course, a natural hair course online. She's going to school now to be an instructor. And so she's taking them to the top. I said, why don't you get into the product, the hair care product? She said, it's run by the Koreans. It's run by the Koreans. And she said, what they will do is they will black." They will blackball you. They won't let you into it. They own everything from the distribution in these little beauty shops to the, uh, what do they call it when they bring it over? Export. Exporting. Exporting. When they bring it over here. They run it all, and they've cornered and marketed it. Here's the funny stuff. They sell black hair care products. How does someone take something that is specifically designed for you and I, and, 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 and particularly you black women, and build a million, trillion-dollar empire off of your beautiful black head? And we become so accustomed to being exploited that we go in here and just spend that we become so accustomed to being exploited, we just spend. And at the very least, I say, because these people be like, well, I got to get what I got to get. I can't have my head looking like this and that. I say, okay, I'm not even going to argue that point, sister. We're not even going to go there. I know better. I have a mother and two sisters. I know better than talk about a sister's head. I know better. I don't even address that issue. But at the very least, you should have some type of an easiness. In your heart, you should feel some discomfort at going into this establishment and spending money with people who don't look like you on a product that is made specifically for you. 
But, oh, you and I have become so accustomed to being exploited. We have become so accustomed. It's the norm of the day. So it's things like this that how do we start to change that? How do we start to get in a position to where we can not only we go from not just a feeling of uh, being ashamed of spending this money or discomfort and unease, but how do we go to getting it to where we start to receive the monies, especially for products that are made for us? that are targeted to us. So, yes, you and I have become a part of this American dream. You're a quick come up. You're a hustle. That's what you are. You're a a quick come up. In the streets, when I was in the streets in my hustler days, we called it a mark, a trick, a sucker, a lame, Anything to get our hands in your pocket, get your little money out of you. We run a flim-flam, a con, a sham, a scam. And this is what's happening to our communities because we are not, we have ceased to be a community-thinking people. We've changed our morals and our ethics. The things that used to hold import to us are no longer important. The things that used to defy the black community no longer defy the black community. I'm from an era, I'm from a time, I can remember the time when we would watch the news and you knew what ethnicity perpetrated the crime. You knew if it was a black dude or a white dude, a black woman or a white woman. You knew it. Child found in a garbage can, oh, that's a white bitch. Excuse my language. That's what Used to come out. You knew that was a white because you knew it was unfathomable. It was incomprehensible to think that a sister would abandon her child in a garbage can. You just knew that wasn't a black woman. Why? Because we were community. She take the baby to Big Mama house. How many babies Big Mama did raise? Raise your hand out there if you want a Big Mama's. And Big Mama might not necessarily be related to you. You don't know how many aunties I didn't have to raise me. I'm not blood related to to, to half of them from 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 Aunt Bernice on. I love me some Aunt Bernice. She was a community mama. Everybody went to when your parents had something to do, drop you off at Aunt Bernice. You played with every kid in the neighborhood because everybody was at Aunt Bernice's house. And she spanked everybody and feed everybody. Aunt Bernice. That was Aunt Bernice. Grew up with our kids. I thought I thought they were my real. I was an adult before I found out we wasn't really cousins. I thought we was cousins. Their grandmama was my Aunt Bernice. That was the sense of community. But when we started to divide ourselves, and that sense of community died. If you talk to a child now, you 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 one of these little belligerent knuckleheads, snot nosed mischievous jokers. When you see one of these children now and you admonish them or correct them, not because you're mean or you're cruel, but because you have been taught that to correct them 
prayerfully will lead to them having a better life, learning some things in life, you find these parents that you find these, oh, I just missed it. Chairman Carl. You find these parents that um, will come out and say something to you for talking to their children. Where's the sense of community? What has happened to that sense of community? And if you know Chairman Press, what, listen, I'm open, I'm listening, I'm trying to hear. What do you think? When did we take that turn? When did we become a people um, detached, detached from that sense of community? And how do we get it back? What are some of the steps that we can take to get it back? I know that it's going to start with us individually. My man Michael said it. Michael said the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. That we're going to have to look down and we're going to have to examine ourselves. And I mean one of those real examinations. Not just no superficial, not a glance in the mirror. A look. A look in the mirror. A look at our inner person. A look at our inner selves. What habits, what um not just habits, but all what type of thinking have we taken on? And is is this a positive thinking? Is this a thinking reflected of a compassionate, conscious, rational, logical being? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Do you, does a rational, logical being a, compa- a being of compassion, a being that knows that they're interconnected with all things around them, with all things that are around them that are living. That's trees, birds, animals, people. Do, does a being of that go and buy a $100,000 car and write down the street, someone is sleeping under the bridge? Someone say, well, I work for mine. I, I, you know, I, shoot, fruits of my labor. I didn't work for their $100,000 car. For what purpose? Is it? I mean, sitting and asking yourself, but what purpose does it serve? How little must, how um, low must your self-esteem be that you need something that caused that much to make you feel better about yourself? How low must your self-esteem be that you have to have something of that nature to make you feel better about yourself while you in that very car can ride through a section of town and lock your doors when you see the brother or sister with children underneath a bridge. Man, this car got seat warmers. Your ass is hot, it's warm. What kind of, when have we become that insane? That's insanity. That is a complete and total disconnect from the world. And we wonder why we are people are in the position we're in. That we've separated ourselves, that the community no longer fights for its liberation because 
its liberation to them has been found in the material possession. We're under the disillusion that the more I possess, the freer I am. Listen, I'm reading a good book by a brother named Sharif Abdullah, World that Making a World That Works for All, and he said that. He talks about this very thing. He talks about that we all are looking for this connectedness and that some of us think that we will find it in our material possessions or in our wealth. Some think they will find it in uh, narcotics. Some think they will find it in sex. But they're looking for this reconnecting back to the universe, back to a natural order. And we as an African people at one point in time may not possess it fully, but possess it 65 to 70%. Before we started taking on these, um, taking on these depraved ways, before we started taking on these depraved ways, before we started to take on other values and morals, we had that. We had community empowerment because, like Chairman Khan said, it wasn't just a clique. It wasn't just a fad. It was a matter of life or death. It was a matter of continuance of the African community here in America. You didn't have a choice. Let me tell you, coming up, on, and this is why I have to thank God the most high for having the parents that I had. Because they never once did I see them waver. Never once did I see them waver. I'm sorry, you know your chairman can't multitask. Never once did I see them waver from their Africanness give in to um, the pressures. I don't even want to say pressures. What do they call it? Yeah, peer pressure of their surroundings. Of people who said that you have this degree or you have that much intelligence or you could have so much more if you sold out. If you would just come over. But they always implemented in me a sense of community by always reminding me that we are part of the whole, that there is no individualism in the African thought process, that what affects my brother and my sister either directly or indirectly affects me, and that it's not good enough just to be a reactionary about it, that it's not good enough just to feel some type of way or to pick up a picket sign and to march on it for a day or an hour. All of that has its usefulness and its place. Believe me, you, I'm not knocking those brothers and sisters that express their rage and their anger in this manner, but it's not enough that when you're really angry and you're part of the whole and you feel this thing, you start to become proactive. You do something to treat that malady, to treat that ailment. If you have a tooth that's bothering you, at first you react, you go get the Ambasol or the whatever it goes, you want to numb it because it's bothering you. 
but it continues to bother you and nag and hinder you from a good night's sleep and being comfortable in life, then you become proactive and you go remove it. So now is the time, brothers and sisters, to start to remove those things that hinder and nag us in our communities, in our development, in our evolution as African people. We must remove it. We must remove it. And that removing it isn't going to be by wishing it away. Oh, if it was, we some wishing people. I heard, what was that, King of Comedy? Uh, uh, Cedric, the entertainer, said, we live by the wish code. He said, white people hope we live by the wish code. He said, white people, oh, I hope there's no trouble. I hope no one's sitting in my seat. I hope everything goes well. He said, we live by the wish code. I wish a nigga would. So if wishing would have freed us, we'd have been freed. Wishing is not sufficient. It's going to take action. It's going to take movement. It's going to take toil. We're scared of that word, toil. Oh, man, toil. Labor, labor, work, work. This separates the African from the nigger. We talked about that on one show we had before. The nigger is lazy. The nigger has no problem being dependent. On its master. This is what the nigga does. The nigga, he doesn't care. The nigga's lazy. He, you know, master as long as master takes care of him. But this African, this African, I tell you about this African, this mighty African, and you and I, this mighty African and you and I is never content, never content with hand-me-downs, handouts, with someone else determining our destiny for us. Isn't the Black Panther Party a political defense self-determinist party? Isn't this what every movement of substance was about? From the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Wasn't it about self-determination, the right to determine our destiny? The right to determine our destiny? And our point number one, when it says that we want freedom in platform number one, platform, we want that freedom. And when we're saying we want that freedom, what does that mean when people say, oh, well, you're already free? Or you mean you want freedom? We want to end to the intentional, the intentional, the deliberate hindrance, obstruction, obstacle placing of the evolution and advancement of the African in America. We know we're targeted, and we know one of the first things that you targeted to be able to come in amongst us was the destruction of the black community. Oh, yes, the Panthers showed you, the third development, who most called the original Panthers, showed you the power of the black community as a base. This is what they did. They showed you that power. As a black community, as a base. They showed you that power so much so that the government had to come in and undermine them. Why do you think you have free breakfast or the children have free breakfast in school? 
Why do you think that some of these programs of Section 8 and the welfare and stuff came about? This was to erode the power base of the party. They knew that once they eroded that power base, once they took that, that thunder from them, so to speak, once they took the independence out of the black community and made the black community dependent upon the government, they could ease in and make their move. They could start to assassinate us. Remember Deputy Chair Fred Happ. They could start to incarcerate us falsely. Remember Geronimo Jigger Pratt. Matula Shakur, who they still have in there. Because the black power base was eroded. Our eyes was off the prize. See, they started feeding us. That's why I tell my brothers and sisters, I don't knock the defense. I don't knock the guns. I don't knock them marching around. It's nice, and it looks nice. But until you're viable to the community, until the people can see that they can rely on you, stability in you, that's when you'll find the people rallying around you. That's when you'll find the people clamoring and hollering for your freedom should these devils come at you. Why do you think free to free you? Half of them Negroes didn't know Huey P. Newton like that. They, they weren't all his personal buddies. But they understood he was a leader in the party and what the, the effect the party had on the community. It was my bread and meat. Without Huey, we don't eat. That's the effect the party said. They have to see the correlation to their everyday life and living to the party. Or are you just a bunch of Negroes walking around in suits looking cute? Has the party become, and I'm talking about all factions, and my mouth is closer to my ears, never do I offer a criticism or a critique that I haven't thought about myself 20, 30, 40 times before I mention it to the masses. Because I have to live with me before anyone else does. So I'm talking to myself first. And in that talking to myself, I asked myself about the formations. Is the People's Black Panther Party just a party of costumery, pageantry, events that offer an instant feel-good? Or are we a party that is here to implement programs to start to create that uh, – Self-sufficiency, the desire, if not the ability in the beginning, at least, at the very least, a desire to do for self, a desire to stand on your own too, a desire to see the community empowered, an organization of, that encourages and promotes self-worth in our young men that they start to see that it isn't cool to abuse our women, to speak any kind of way to our women, that it isn't cool, that it starts to bother them, and, and vice versa for our sisters. 
not just a party of hate rhetoric, but a party of self-consciousness, self-awareness, a party of love. You hear me? That's become one of my favorite words. I've been on doing some different reading. I've spent my revolutionary reading there. It's always time for to study the revolution, and I'm a student of the revolution, from the Cuba Revolution, the Algiers Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, the uh, Chinese Communist Revolution, you name it. I love to read about revolution. I love it. I love to see the underdog shake the shackles of oppression off of them and topple these regimes that would hold the people down and exploit the people. I love it. I cheer. Yeah. I flip the page. I'm like, yes. Right on. From my boy Tupamaru, Tupac Amaru, to, uh, to them all. Not the rapper Tupac, the revolutionary Tupac. To them all, I love it. I love it. I love to read about it. But lately, I've been inspired. The Spirit has inspired me to start reading books on philosophies of love and self-worth and self-consciousness. I couldn't understand it, but now I do. I see how they both are interrelatable because the strongest emotion in any revolution must be love. Hate will not sustain a revolution. So when we have this love, and don't get it twisted, I'm not one of these, turn the other cheek. Love those who kick you in the face. I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking about a healthy love. I'm talking about a love that says, I love life, therefore I must love the things that produce a healthy life because I love healthy living. I love my brother and my sister, therefore I must love and do the things that would show them this love. And I must be open enough and forgiving enough at times to be a recipient of love. See, we won't allow ourselves to be loved. We make it impossible for brothers and sisters to love us, let alone give love. And this is the sense of what community will start to give back to us, that sense of love. When you love your neighborhood, when you're, how many of us in the small things, I'm starting to get on my children and people around me about the small things, dropping a piece of paper in the environment because I now love the planet. I'm so filled with this love. I love the planet. I love the planet. And in my love of the planet, I'm praying that the planet will love me in return. We had the wonderful sister on uh, um, last week was talking about her garden. She loves the planet. And this love that she's giving to the garden and putting her hands in the soil and turning the soil and planting, showing this love and expressing this love to the earth, this love will give back to her and produce. We don't love healthy anymore. That's why we don't love the community. And our love has been so distorted and so diluted that we don't even know what a healthy love is. We don't know what a healthy love is. We think this Caucasian loves us because he gives us a promotion at the job. He gives us a promotion. He gives us a raise. He loves me. I do a wonderful job. He loves me. But with this love, true love is acceptance. 
but he loves you. He gives you this raise, and then he comes and tells you, but you know what? You could you could get this raise. You can make, but those locks, those dread, or they call dreadlocks, right? Those dreadlocks. And if you shave, and if you wear this, and if you live in this neighborhood, and if you drive this type of car, and if, and if you can comply. And so he loves you, but he loves you like a pet monkey. That's what you are, a pet monkey. Look at the little monkey in human clothes. You know how to dress the little monkeys in human clothes? He loves you like a pet monkey. You're a pet. You're a big, beautiful, black African self running around here with a tight-ass suit on. You're a little tie. You speak proper English, and you look down your nose at the other black people. You don't want to hear that black shit. I got white friends. All of that good stuff that you say. You've been you've been separated from the community. You no longer believe in all powers to the people, all powers in your dollar, in your new lifestyle. And listen, our phone lines are open. If you disagree with anything I'm saying, the phone lines are open. Press one, we'll click you in. If you agree and would like to add, Press one and we'll click you in. I love to hear from you. This is your radio talk. You can't talk enough on this program. You can't share enough on this program. You have to understand when I say that I'm an African communalist, I mean that. That is just not a title I've taken on. That is my philosophy. That's my ideology, my way of life. And a communalist is one who shares. I love your ideas. You inspire me. I'm, I prayerfully, I hope that I'm inspiring you, but you inspire me. To hear how you're adjusting and adapting to life, to hear your takes and some of your solutions on these problems, if not at all the time, even if they're not always the best, most uplifting words, because sometimes they're very sad. The stories I hear that our sisters and our brothers share with us on are sometimes sad and they're moving. But they're just that. They're moving. They should move us and inspire us to do better and to want better and to come up with better solutions. So please join me in this conversation. Press one. We were waiting for Chairman Kahar to come back on. And if you come back on, uh, Abu, press one and I'll know that you're on. So we have a list of listeners. So this, these are the things that we have to address. This empowerment, this community empowerment. This is how we're going to make it. We're not going to be able to do the Lone Ranger type thing. We're not going to be able to do the by myself organizing. How can you organize by yourself? It's just called self-management. You're not going to be able to organize by yourself. That's the challenge. That's the challenge to get out here and to organize with the people who no longer want to hear it, who no longer believe in black power. Because black power that became a slogan It's something we chant so much that it is unbelievable. Because it hasn't been defined. What is black power? You know, black power, brother. Black power. It's 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 like assalamu alaikum 
when being taken from the money. Just say what you say, Salamu alaikum, hotel. We got the flyers saying, it's sound for black power, man. Yeah, I like that, black power there, black man. But what does that mean? How do we achieve that black power? And when we say black power, are we doing things that are moving in the direction of black empowerment? Because that's what it boils down to, black empowerment. Are we doing those things? Are we starting to instruct our life to go in that direction? Or is it just a slogan? Or is it just a slogan? I'm sure a lot of us have the flags in our house. I have a flag in my house. I actually salute my flag, though, but I have a flag in my house. A lot of us rock the colors. But are we not just familiar with the colors, what they mean, but do they resonate in our hearts? Red for the blood. Red for the blood. The sacrifices. The blood that has already been shed, the blood that must be shed, the sacrifices that must be made, blood sacrifices, red is for that. The turmoil, the hardships, the difficulties, red is for the blood. Black, black is for the people's. Black is for the peoples, not just people here in America, but anywhere that you find people of African descent, black people. Black is for the peoples. The colors in our flag, therefore, if the colors in the most sacred flag and one of the most sacred cloths in the sacred order of colors, then the people must be a sacred people. And green, all that green. That green, that beautiful green, I love the green because the green is what offshoots the red. The red is the struggle. The red is the turmoil. The red is the blood sacrifice. But the green is, they say, for the land, but not just the land of prosperity. Green pastures, baby. Green is the victory. Green is the the, the assurance. Green. Green is the paradise. That's what the green is. Green is the green is we have achieved. Green is our vision. Green is what we're shooting for. Red is where we're coming from. Black is who it's for. But green is our goal. These colors, do we contemplate and think about these magnificent colors given to us by the most honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey? They were there to inspire us. No longer do they inspire. We've done everything. We've we've become like our oppressor with this Eurocentric mindset. We've become capitalists. And we commercialize everything. Our colors have become commercial. No longer holding that sacredness. Ask yourselves, are the colors sacred to you? So we have to have those those colors must be those colors must be sacred.
and they're no longer sacred to us. Commercial, commercialized. That's what they become. So how do we empower? So the question, the question remains. We go back to the question. Excuse me. How do we empower? What do we do to get the community involved in its own fight for liberation? In its own struggle, how do we get the community involved? That's the question. So, brothers and sisters, there again, our lines are open. As we come into our last, rounding it off to our last half hour, what are some of your solutions and suggestions? What do you think? How can we turn this? How can we turn this around? How can we get the people involved in their own struggle for this liberation? That's our that's that that's our that's our question. Community based going back to empowering. Going back to empowering the community so that the community can power the movement. I think that the arrogancy that we're seeing in the movement now is unbelievable. The fact that people think that they are the be all and do all of the movement, that the movement will stop without them that the movement will stop without their organizations is unbelievable. It's no longer based on community support or community participation. That's the sad part. That's the part that I don't get. When did we when did we hit that crossroads? When did we get to that point? Let's go to our phone lines. 915, I believe this is my dear sister, too. 915-9145, is this Sister Kim? Absolutely. Yes, Chairman. Absolutely. <laughs> How are you, Sister? I was waiting for you there. I was wondering if you were going to join us today. You're going to get me to talk, talk to him out of breath? You're just waiting? No. <laughs> I kept falling off, so, you know, I apologize for that. I was like, okay, okay. I'm going to try and be stable on this phone call here. Um, that's a great question. Um, solutions Getting people involved I have found that a lot of people Are not even aware That they can get involved In the decisions surrounding their communities By the way of Not just the, 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 the council the, the city council But there are boards and commissions That exist in just about every community they don't require degrees. They require people who are in the community uh, to sit on that board. Usually the appointments are for two years. Sometimes they're one year or until sunset, which means when the board has finished doing what they're doing. And 
the wonderful thing about these boards and commissions, some of them cover your parks, some of them cover your recreation, some of them cover your senior citizens, your child care facilities, your educational institutions. Some of them cover the neighborhoods, zoning, your water, all of that. And these are run by community um, participants. Like here in my city, um, there are, I want to say, seven zones. You have to live in one of those zones and when the position becomes vacant, you simply put in your application with your council person, then they appoint you. Again, it doesn't require any degree. And when I do talk to different people in different um, cities and things of that nature, uh, they, they often tell me that it's very hard to get people to even be involved, to even, you know, get into these positions. It's always good to know how the community itself is working um, there are some that deal with the school uh, food programs uh, where you can decide the budget on what kind of foods are served. Uh, then you can go a little higher on uh, some of the education boards to determine what books that the children will be utilizing from K-12. So part of it is that people are just not aware that these even exist. So that is one of the keys is to to teach people that these particular organizations, uh, boards, and committees exist, how to find them, and have them apply for them, um, and let them know you get OJT, the job training. They provide you with any need uh, to fulfill that position. And if you notice, and sometimes we see in the news, we see some of our 18-year-olders, they're becoming council members. They've already figured it out. Uh, I sit on a couple myself in my, my, my community, and they're ready to tackle another one, which I'm sure is going to be a true fight, uh, something a little bit different, because our state has some major, major issues that, it, that aren't discussed. But um, I plan on winning that particular and I think I'm ready for that one. So there's a lot of things that people can do. It's, I hear a lot, well, I don't have time. I work. I have my family to take care of. Um, I do all of those. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know what? And to jump in with yeah. you, and, and, sound like, and, and you hear that, and I think that that's my whole thing. Our people mm-hmm. don't know that it's not a – our liberation struggle is not a separate – somewhere down the line, it has become like it's like a separate movement, like disconnected from our everyday existence. You know, I hear that when right. people say, like you should say, well, I got to work, I got children, I got a job. I got, All of this, your struggle for your empowerment as a, as a people is connected with all of that. It's not separate. So, you know, my question to the organizations out there and to our activists, such as yourself, how do we go about, what language do you use, or how do you go about letting them know that all of that can be incorporated, that all of that is one? That's a good question. The thing is, is um, the more I talk to people older than myself, uh, they remember. So I don't have an issue with them. Well, they're just like, show me what to do. I might be too old, but, you know, I maybe I can sit and answer a phone. Um, my age, 
which is a little older too, um, 40s, 50s, in that area, I get the the pushback. Um, why are you bringing up stuff from the past, the past, leave it in the past? And I'm looking at them like, do you not see the same news I see? Uh, I've even had people say, well, we've never had, you know, any police brutality in our city. And I pulled up seven incidents just like that. And then, they, then the next thing I know, oh, that was two years ago. And I'm looking at them like, no, this one was actually last year. Matter of fact, the last two I showed you were last year. It's, there's, there's too many excuses. And so what I've learned to do is to work with those who are ready and hope that the rest will come aboard. Uh, sometimes it has to do what I call take the snake route. Uh, it's a lot of work. Um, for instance, you know, we supposedly make up 5% of the city's population, which I do. And so try to push the idea of frequenting businesses that look like us. I was told that we had no businesses in this county because we're only, mm. well, first it told me 3.1%. And I'm looking at them and I'm staring at them and I go, yeah, but I have a business. I was told I was the exception. So I set yeah. out on a journey. Found us 300 businesses within our county. And people were like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Yeah, right. It was like, where did and they come from? Like they sprouted exactly, up overnight. You know, exactly. That goes to show that it's, you know, that's self-determination. We're going to have to do our work. Hey, Kim, you know what? And keep your mic open because I want to continue the discussion. Let's bring Chairman Kahar in on this discussion with us, if you don't mind. And let's get him going in. Black Power, Uh, Chairman Kahar, Black Power, are you with us? Yes, sir. Um, One of the things that uh, you had mentioned and the sister mentioned, see, first of all, to become a revolutionary is holistic. It's holistic. Uh, simply meaning our language, the way we walk, the way we talk, what we eat, our relationship with our family, our relationship with the leadership in the community. One city might not have a high rate of police brutality, but they might have a high rate of uh, what I call mental abuse in the schools with our children. Oppression comes at us all kind of ways, and uh, we have to understand that. Brother, we're talking about, well, I'm militarily ready, but are you mentally ready for the assault on your mind? Are you mentally ready when you have to go out and provide meals for the family? See, when we look at the revolution, we think a revolution is going to a conference, going to a convention, going outside, marching, picking in a demonstration. That's only one part of it. Our culture plays a very part. We must set up a revolutionary culture. When I meet you, then I have a whole new different way that I come to you and I come to the people. Because why? We are teachers. We say, are you truly your brother and sister people? You want for yourself what you want for your brothers. So if I want peace and unity, then I want it for my brother. Then another misuse uh, word, like you say, black power, another misuse word is freedom. Freedom is two words, freedom. The dome is the top of your head. If you ain't got nothing up under the dome, then how do you know how to go about getting freedom? And the European does this every day. All your capital have what you call a dome. 
In in Rome, it's a dome. In Jerusalem, it's a dome. In Mecca, it's a dome. Because that's where the laws and rules and, and regulations have been put there in order to govern the people. But we have a dome, too. And if nothing going in there, nothing coming out. So when we say, I am a revolutionary, then that means I'm holistic. I can't be a revolutionary, then I bring my children home and every image in my house is white. Come on now. Right on. You That's know, right. I look around, right. everything everything is white, but I'm talking black power. But I come in and got a big old Caucasian up on the wall. I got Kennedy on the wall, you know. Come on now. So we have to yeah. be holistic. When you see me out in the streets, you should be able to see me in my house the same way. Yeah. And this is what we talk about, building that type of movement and that type of relationship. What they see, Brother Kahar, on this side of town, if I'm on the other side of town, you still should see Brother Kahar. Mm-hmm. We have our weakness, we have our strength, we have our struggle, but that's what it's all about. And I love the way that you broke down the red, black, and green, and green also represents life. Right on. After all of that bleeding, after all of us coming together for our people, we're trying to get to the green. Mm. We trying to get some life because we some happy slaves. We some happy Negroes, and it's like you said. I don't see how you could be in America today and not have a touch of anger. Yes, sir. Not yes, having sir. a touch of anger when they flash it in our face. Let's mm-hmm. make America great again, and we ignore that. When when we say black power, it's a slogan. When white folks say white power, they talking about lynching somebody. That's right. Controlling the economics, controlling the politics, controlling the military, which is the police department and other military agencies in our community that is here to maintain and control or exploit and murder us. If you my sister yep. today, I should I should say that. How you doing, sister? And then I go across town and call another sister by another name. She is also my sister as well. So we have to bring about a revolutionary culture. And we have to set that example. And that's what you articulated so beautifully that we did in the 60s. We brought the Afro strong. We brought the beard strong. We we brought the color strong. So we was having and uh, we brought about black rap strong. That was like the last poets. Uh uh Curtis Mayfield, we moving on up, keep on pushing. Even James Brown had to come out and say it loud on black and I'm proud. That came out of black power movement. Yes, sir. And we got to get that culture back with all this other rapping on the radios and the stuff that they be saying on the radio, good God almighty, it will destroy any brain cell. Hmm. So we got to go back into building that holistic culture. And that is, if I don't get out and bring no income in the house, ain't nothing going to fall out of the sky. That's right. That's right. So uh, I just wanted to share that, and I'm still on the road, you know, but uh, it's, a good, okay. it's a good program. And I always say program. I very seldom say show. It's a program, and program simply means to propagate, and propagation means, as they say, brainwashing. That simply meaning cleaning. That's it. That's it. We need our brains washed. Washed from that filth. 
that that's been implemented. And your mic is open. We keep your mic open, Abu. We keep your mic open, Chairman Kaha. Okay. Um, you I know, sure so will. You sign me. So absolutely, and 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 Chairman Kaha is absolutely right in what he said. Sister Kim, did you want to add to that? Your mic is still open, dear sister. Huh. Um, I love everything that he said, and it, it just for me it inspires me even more. Um, one of the major issues that. I'm getting ready to step into, um, unfortunately, my great state of Texas has a beyond horrible track record of children in foster care, our children in foster care. Um, our children are 90-plus percent more likely to grow up in that foster care system, least likely to get any services and help. So I finally met a young lady that I used to advocate with, and she is going after the policies that cover the foster care system and the juvenile detention facilities that uh, incarcerate our children at exponential rates. So um, this is one of the things that upsets many of our people in this state. Uh, I know it can be a not so easy fight, but, you know, she's older than I, and um, if she's old enough to uh, step up and, and, and take it on Then I'm going to be with her I don't want her to go by herself So that is one of the things that I think we need You know help with in that area As far as fighting And um, I think I can rally some other people To understand that That could probably speak volumes to them it's, it's, On what's happening listen, let me tell you, to our It's a whole demograph out there <clears throat> You know it's a yeah. whole demograph when you're dealing with, this is my thing with dealing with the people. We would be surprised. I love what um, I think Jeremy Carl was speaking on it earlier. I've spoken on it many mm-hmm. times before. I think that when we take on this vanguard mentality, that we totally misunderstand what that is, you know, and that our, our issues are, you know, they didn't, these, this European, he doesn't exploit us and oppress us just in one category. He doesn't just lynch us. Right. He doesn't phys- right. physically oppress us. He economically exploits us. He psychologically right. terrorizes us. He miseducates and misinforms us. So our battle is on all those fronts. What I would advise anybody, right. like taking on that struggle, taking on that fight of foster care, there are many people of African descent, many Africans here in America who are suffering from that. Contact them. Contact them, whose children have been snatched up by the defects, put in foster care, have to go through all mm-hmm. that. There are many people out there trying to fight cases by themselves because they don't know that there are advocates out there, people out there Correct. saying, hey, we're going through the same thing. Same thing Correct. for prison, the so-called prison reform or the prison industrial complex. They have us fight. See, we've taken on these Eurocentric attitudes, these European attitudes, individualism. And that has extended to even our struggle, to where you have someone fighting for their child in prison. And then you have someone somewhere else fighting for their child in prison. But if they come together collectively with the millions, with the millions, if we make up the, the, the largest percentage of the prison population, then you have to understand how many people who have loved ones, and if, if we make up that much of the prison population, how much more of the support population are people who have incarcerated loved ones? So we have to reach out to them. And it's right. not about reinventing the wheel. We have to stop reinventing the wheel, get out of this wanting to be the leader 
stuff. There are many, there are, I know one down in the line, Reverend Glasgow, who is Al Sharpton's brother, has um, people, uh, what is it, uh, formerly incarcerated people, FIPS, formerly incarcerated people's movement. But you will have these other groups go off and start their own movement and back into society movement or prison rehabilitation movement. We're starting this movement because they're selling out. They're looking for the grand. They're not fooling anyone. You're us of true revolutionaries. You're not fooling us. We know this is just another way to get that money. But if you're sincere and serious, there are plenty of organizations who have already started the ball rolling. Just go and add to that momentum. This is what right. I advise them. That would be my advice to you and the sister that, that I'm sure that there's this sister's taking on that challenge. If there isn't an organization already addressing this, then if you do start this organization with the sister, then go out and start reaching out to the people who already have loved ones in the foster care and going through these things. Listen, we're coming into our last six minutes, Sister Kim. I'm going to give you a minute or two to have some closing because I always look forward to you coming in and sharing with us. I know that's something that I can always count on. I was wondering if you – I started just open your mic anyway, but I didn't want to do you like that. <laughs> I started I'm just so tapping in. <laughs> but I'm glad that you did it on your own accord. So we'll give you a few minutes to have some closing words, and then we'll go to um, Chairman Carr and let him have some closing statements. Yes. Um, I appreciate like you said, this is coming. Uh, this is coming at us at all different angles. Um, with my elders, and I remember so much that they uh, that this battle is going to be fought, and it, it, it's going to be a long. Um, it can be tiresome, but it can be done. Uh, the piece that I'm getting ready to take on. Uh, you are correct. There is the group is already formed. We just need more hands. So I'm giving them more hands. And this is some work that I've done in the past is advocating for foster kids and, and kids in the juvenile system. Uh, so I'm actually going back into something that I used to do. Um, and it just, we have so much that we need to do, but we can do it together. Uh, I think, I think part of the problem is helping people understand that just because it doesn't directly impact them, it is impacting. Let's not wait until it impacts us personally before we gain momentum and we want to be involved. So my charge will also be to try and get people to help out and I yield my All right, well listen, we're we're offering our support. Us as the People's Black Panther Party, if there's anything that we can do to aid and support, hit us on our page, inbox me Yang and Krumah. Uh, my Minister of Justice, or hit us on the page. I believe uh, I emailed, but you can hit us on that. 619-9979. Man, I got like three minutes. I want to go to Chairman Carr, but I'm going to open your, your mic because I know you have been waiting. You got like one minute, but I did want to at least open your mic. 619-9979. Black Power, this brother. Black Power, this brother War. Oh, jeez. What's going on, brother? All right, I just wanted to touch base real quick and say one thing to make sure our listening audience understand what Chairman Kahar said when he made, made reference to brainwashing. And I'm going to make this statement, and I'm going to say it twice, and we can live on that. We have to teach the people what they want so that they can learn to accept what they need. Teach mm. the people what they should want so they can learn to accept what they need. The whole That's program right. we've been taught, we've been talking about revolutionary concepts and what it means to be a panther and what it takes to be a panther and bringing other panthers in and whether it's easier, easier now to be a panther versus the uh, development of third formation. 
So the point with that is we have to go back to understanding what social engineering is and what it means to our people. And we as revolutionary students must get into social engineering. We must get into the development of our people. So, therefore, we have to teach them what they should want so that they can understand and accept what they need. Black power. Black, Black power. power. Black power. That was definitely, that was um, Brother Ward, um, um, National Chief of Staff, and Brother Disciple. Appreciate you, Chaplain, Brother Ward. Chairman Kahal, we got like two minutes, man. Please give us some of the profound wisdom and, and, and share Okay. Uh, all I can say is we just have to be farmers today. Because what this government finna give us is scientific fertilizer. In other words, the shit finna hit the fan and doodle finna fly everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, let's like this field and uh, take it and start working with it. Black power, comrade. <laughs> Black power. Listen, I want to thank everyone for calling in. I definitely want to thank my father, um, Chairman Kahar, National Director of the Panther Political Education Committee, uh, for, for taking the time to come in. I know he got my mom riding. I don't know if I'm on speakerphone. Mom, love you um, um, for riding out. I know he's taking her to work and stuff like that. Uh, I want to thank everyone for really just chiming in, sharing their input, and, and doing their thing. It's your brother, your brother, Chairman Yanga. Uh, and Krumah, People's Black Panther Party, coming at you again. Tune in, stay posted for our next upcoming uh, Blog Talk Radio. And like I, I ended, like I brought it, all powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power.